All right, we can begin. This is our uh, the beginning of our CSA meditation retreat, the second week in May. And we'll have an opportunity to continue a little discussion. Um, in the past sessions, we've been looking at the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and the second chapter on Kriya Yoga. So we, we uh, got into some depth into the beginning of that chapter last, uh, last sessions last week. And so I thought it would be useful for us today to uh, continue with the discussion that we've had. So I'll very quickly, very briefly review because we have a few new folks this week. Um, so in the second chapter, uh, Patanjali starts off and defines Kriya Yoga as uh, intensive self-discipline, uh, study of the self, the nature of the self, and uh, letting go of the ego or coming into a relationship where we feel that we are one with God. So this, these three aspects are, are the definition of Kriya Yoga, and they are designed to help bring harmony and balance to purify our thinking, our feeling, and our acting. So our acting is purified through discipline, self-discipline. Um, we uh, intentionally uh, choose actions and things that are moving in the direction of balance and harmony on all levels. So our action is just through discipline. Uh, Self-study allows us to reframe our story about what we think we are um, and what we think is going on, the nature of God. And so we we are able to change our story and change the way we're thinking uh, about reality through study. And then uh, letting go of the ego, Ishvara Pranidhana, this is to feel ourselves to be one with God. So this, this changes our feeling and helps to purify our feeling. So our thinking, feeling, and action is purified through the practices of Kriya Yoga. So we become fully involved in this. And then in the second uh, sutra of the second chapter, uh, Patanjali goes on to explain that the reason we do this, why do we engage and what do we why are we purifying and what is going on here? The real reason is, number one, so that we can experience samadhi, that is oneness consciousness, that is that we can come back into the the awareness and the experience of our true nature, that we can move past the, the body and the mind and the brain and the emotions and all the, the vehicles that we operate through and come back into the, this pure awareness, pure consciousness, pure existence being. And so this is samadhi. So our Kriya Yoga practice helps to refine and purify uh, all of the different levels of our being to set the stage and to allow this uh, transformative, transcendent experience to manifest, to come to blossom out of us. So, so this is one of the reasons. And then the other reason is to remove the afflictions, the obstacles, the things that stand in the way of both the samadhi, this experience of being of our true nature and of our ability to live freely to experience life fully without constraint, without limitation, um, to express in the way that we are designed to express, to be the, the best that we can be. So we can, we can, if we remove these afflictions, these obstacles, then our life becomes uh, much easier. We find that we uh, move in harmony with life. It becomes a, a very gentle, uh, an interesting and uh, fulfilling, rewarding process where we are engaged fully. So, so we want to remove the, these obstacles, these afflictions, the cliches, uh, the limitations, in order to express fully and to wake up completely. So this is our Kriya Yoga practice. And uh, we went on and discussed at some, some depth, you know, we went into some detail regarding uh, the nature of these obstacles, these kleshas. And so the first one, avidya, is not seeing accurately, misperceiving, miscognizing, not apprehending what's really going on. 
So we misperceive vidya is to knowledge, is wisdom, is to see. Avidya is not seeing. So we're not seeing what's clear, what's in front of us. We're not perceiving accurately what's what what we are and what life is. So avidya is said to be the main obstacle, the main affliction that uh, underlies all the rest of them. So, so regaining wisdom, regaining accurate perception and cognition. This is this is one of the things that we do. Uh, the second one, nasmita, is to uh, is the sense of separation, ego. So this is the feeling that we are separate, that we were we are not connected, that we are not part of the wholeness of this reality, that we are somehow outside of God and outside of um, this expressive reality, and some and so there's this sensation, this feeling of being not complete. We are not whole. We are there's something missing. And so this drives us to go out and try to acquire or uh, improve or do something to be become whole, to become fulfilled. And so this is an obstacle. This is a klesha, an affliction. And then the next one is raga, which is attachment. So uh, we, we become attached to um, feelings, to circumstances, to events, to objects, to relationships, uh, to places. So th- these attachments then also become uh, uh, so these attachments then become ways that we are being controlled. We are at- attached, controlled by the things that we are clinging to, grasping to, or conspiring to try to accumulate. So we have these these drives, these desires inside of us that are attached to certain outcomes. And then we have the aversion, the opposite. So dvesa, which is is to push away. So we we're also controlled by the things we have an aversion to. So this is kind of negative attachment. So we are pulled in one direction by desires, and we are pushed away by desires not to have experiences, things, uh, circumstances. So we have this push-pull, aversion, attraction, and this controls. So these are our clashes, uh, and then we have. Um, finally, the fear of death, the fear that we are, uh, that we will cease to be, the fear of survival. So this is another uh, one of these impulses that's very strong within that is an affliction uh, that controls. And so these are the things that we, that we want to um, balance. We want to get rid of these so they're no longer active and no longer controlling and no longer limiting our experience. So, so this is kind of where we left off last time. And so moving on now, um, uh, Patanjali goes on and says that these restricting influences, these um, kleshas, these things can be um, overcome. They can be resisted and they can be eliminated. So we can, we don't have to live with them. There is a solution. There is a way that we can, move past these limitations and these afflictions and uh, the first the first way of doing this the first thing we can engage in and that is self-analysis so this is again reflecting his first statement that says self-study so here we are self-analysis is part of self-study isn't it this is um, looking at ourself and analyzing what am i doing how am i thinking what am I feeling? How am I acting? So we can look at this and, be, and we can look at it, you know, accurately. We can sort of let our predispositions and our inclinations and emotions set those aside temporarily and look really clearly, be really open as much as we can um, to, to look and to analyze what's going on. And then when we find these afflictions when we find these places where we are feeling separate we're not you know we somebody just unfriended us on facebook 
So this is this, you know, this is ego. This is this asmita is being challenged. We now had this, we feel sorry for ourselves, or we're upset or we get angry because, you know, we don't deserve to be unfriended. So we have these, uh, these reactions that are coming as a result of feelings. So we can look at our feelings or maybe we're angry about something or maybe we're afraid. So we look at the feelings and we look at the actions that we're taking. What are we doing? How are we spending our time? You know, we can look at these and analyze and say, is what I'm doing useful? Does this really support my well-being? Does this make me feel happy? I mean, really happy. Um, not temporary, but the real joy from within. So I feel really content and really peaceful and grounded. Does, does what I'm doing support that? Or, you know, am I running around and reacting to every circumstance and situation and wasting time and kind of at loose ends, burning the candle at both ends, not getting enough sleep, um, engaging in restless action, restless activity? What am I doing? How am I spending my, my time, my energy? So we can self-analysis. We can look at what we're, how we're, what we're doing. How do we feel? What are we thinking? What do we think about? What, you know, what dominates our thinking process? How, do, how much time each day do we spend thinking about God? How much time each day do we spend thinking about um, ways that we can create more peace and harmony, that we can support our self, our own physical being and our own emotional nature and ways that we can support our family and our friends and our society. How much time do we spend thinking about positive, optimistic, useful things? And how much time do we spend thinking about, you know, worrying about what's next and, and thinking about all the unfulfilled desires that we are, you know, all the things we're missing out that we need to figure out how to get together and, um, so what are we thinking? So self-analysis gives us the opportunity to, to really be honest with ourselves, And that uh, then allows us to be able to start moving in the direction that we want to move in, moving in the direction of harmony, peace, balance, contentment, um, all these useful things. And, and we don't have to, we don't have to uh, make this, dramatic and we don't have to make this a confrontational and inner confrontational thing we we just have to set our intention set the direction and then begin to make the changes that we can in a way that's nurturing and supportive so we can be caring for ourselves compassionate about us and seeing, well, there's some places that we need to, you know, make some changes. We need to, to uh, start to move the ship, you know, the big ocean liner. We start, need to start moving it in the direction that will help us to um, eventually arrive at our destination. But we're not going to turn it on a dime. We have to do this gently. And we have to do this in a way that supports, that doesn't aggravate so now we, you know, we start to become too judgmental about ourselves, and oh gosh, I can't do this, or, or what a fool I've been, and I beat myself up, and I'm going to start tomorrow morning, and I'm going to go on a five-day fast, and I'm going to just stop all everything for the body, and I'm going to really wrestle it under my control. And so we don't want to do that. We want to be gentle. We want to be nurturing. We want to create the environment the space that we can thrive in that we can feel good about that will help support us in moving forward in a useful way so self-analysis this is you know this is a, important and then he says samadhi so spending time every day in this higher consciousness and this awareness of our true nature so this is another thing that will help balance and help bring harmony into our our being and then the third thing he says is awakened knowledge so not only are we um are we uh, practicing self-analysis looking at ourselves, but also this knowledge comes from within there is this knowing that we have because we are part of this expressive universe, we're not separate. And so the knowledge is within us, it's accessible. 
but how do we how do we get to that knowledge how do we get into the library you know how do we do the search and the way we do that is to be quiet so we have to develop a relationship with ourself and part of this relationship is one where we we create the environment where we can just be quiet and not be distracted not allow the 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 gunas the you know these subtle forces not allow these outside influences to really um, manipulate us so much to feel manipulated but rather to just be quiet so um, you know we can go sit on the porch or go sit by the river you know go for a walk uh, go out by the seashore uh, hug a tree do something to just kind of get relaxed and balanced and, and nature is so supportive, so nurturing, it's such a wonderful um, ally for us. So we can just go find some place where we don't have to do anything. We don't have a, a, a time, we don't have an agenda, we don't have to figure anything out. We, we stop thinking about things, we stop uh, allowing the emotions and the feelings to run through us. And we just kind of be quiet. This is different from meditation here. We're just asking ourselves, we just ask myself, what is it that I need to do? How is, you know, what, what, what can I do now that will be uh, nurturing and supportive of my highest good? So we just ask and then listen. And, and in the beginning, it can take some time because we haven't haven't developed this relationship with ourselves, where we have learned to really listen and to trust and to be able to perceive this intuition, this knowledge that just bubbles up from within. Because we do know, we know what to do, we have the answers, um, but we have to develop a relationship with this deeper level of ourselves in order to have access to this. So. So awaken knowledge. So these are the three things that um, that Patanjali says will help us to um, remove these restricting influences. And uh, and what supports this this whole process is number one the desire. So we have to want to do this. We have to. This has to be something that's important to us. So if we have the desire to remove all of the obstacles, to remove all the afflictions, to move all the limitations, to remove all these so that we can live free, so we can experience moksha, liberation of consciousness, full liberation, and so that we can have the most amazing life that you can, beyond what you can even imagine. So first we have to have the desire. This has to be important. And second, we have to believe that it's possible. So I desire to be fully awake. I, you know, I look at the at the saints and these remarkable, remarkable being, you know, beings, these masters who have had these remarkable lives and insights and wisdom and have shared so much. And I think, wow, wouldn't it be great to be like that? So we have the desire to express fully and to be free, you see unencumbered and so we have to believe that it's possible if they did it i can do it if they if it's possible for them if anybody else has been able to accomplish this then i can do this i'm part of the same expressive reality and there is no reason that i can't so i have the desire to change i have the belief that it's possible for me to change and then and then i have to actually begin to engage in the practice i have to do something i have to begin this discipline i have to begin uh, making these little subtle small changes in a very nurturing supportive way that will help bring me to the objective to the desire that i have to be fully awake so and the intensity of our practice how much how important we make this for ourselves will determine how quickly we'll wake up and how quickly we'll remove these obstacles. So, so if we are working on removing fear or anger or grief or remorse, or you know, if we're working on something or if we're working on um, 
removing a habit or an addiction, something that we're doing on a repetitive basis that we, that we really know is not useful and not supportive. If we're working on one of these things, if we, if we kind of make this important to ourselves, so we, you know, have a little, a little sign on the refrigerator, you know, a refrigerator magnet, or, you know, put a post-it note on your mirror or something to remind yourself, this is what I'm doing. This is my intention. And I'm going to spend time today, even if it's five minutes, I'm going to spend time intentionally working with this particular thing, this particular aspect, this particular change. So in, in, and it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a small thing, but if we do it regularly, intensely, um, you know, the, 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 in Islam, the Muslims, they bow down to Mecca several times a day. And the reason for that is to be reminded several times a day. Um, I remember I, when I, uh, I had an, an Apple watch that I, I have an Apple watch that I used to wear. Um, and it had the ability to set a timer on it so that it would give an alert every hour to remind me to stand up so that I wasn't just sitting in front of the computer all the time, remind me to stand up. And I thought, this is such a wonderful tool. You know, every time this little thing buzzes on my wrist and I go, Oh yeah. I'm, you know, my intention is to not be sitting all the time is to stand up for a few minutes every hour. And so I have this little device that helps me remember to do that. So whatever we can use to engage and to be reminded on a regular basis, this is the this is what really makes the change is repetition. So as we repeat again and again, our intention, my intention is to make this change. My intention is to remove this obstacle, is to let this go, move past this. And we repeat and we repeat. And pretty soon we find that we are changed. You see, we uh, the, the way we are paying attention, our prana, our life force follows our attention. And so the way we are paying attention and the way we are flowing our energy, our life force, um, determines how we think and how we feel and how we act. And so if we are, uh, if we are moving in this direction repetitively again and again and again, we actually rewire the brain and the nervous system and we change the impressions on the subtle level and we transform ourselves. So, so desire, belief, intensity, and repetition. These are, these are the things that help us to uh, remove these restricting influences. And then uh, Patanjali goes on to talk about karma. So we'll talk a little bit about, um, about karma and about some of these other uh, models of, you know, the way we're put together so that we can have more understanding as we move forward through the rest of our week. Uh, and we'll have kind of a, a, a context, a basis uh, that we can be operating and having our conversation from. So karma, karma is basically uh, uh, the effect or basically the result of the, uh, the law of cause and effect. Uh, so everything that's, that's happening now is an effect and all effects have had a previous cause and whatever's happening right now, this effect is going to be a cause that will produce some effect in the future. And so this is the way the world works. This is the way the universe works. Everything has a cause and every cause becomes an effect and the effect becomes a cause and we go forward. And so, so in our mental field, in the manas and in the buddhi, in the, in the uh, intellect, in the discerning wisdom intellect aspect, both of these have mental imp have impressions. These have these um, causes that are sitting back there waiting for opportunities to express and to become effects. So, so we have... Uh, so every time we do something, whatever we do, whatever we think, whatever we feel, and what, however we act, all of these produce uh, produce effects, and 
the effects that they produce also become these causes, these karmas. So, so it's the law of cause and effect operating within us. And if we have strong desires, strong feelings, uh, attachments, these things become uh, impressions in the, in the mind, in the mental field. And then these impressions will uh, cause us to act in certain ways. And some of them may not manifest for years. You know, they may be um, just sitting in the background waiting for a trigger, waiting for the right opportunity. And when that trigger comes, when that opportunity emerges, then this karma, this action, this impression becomes activated. And then we start to feel that we're being moved by it, affected, influenced by it. And these karmas, these impressions, can cause us to experience pleasure or pain. They can bring us joy or sorrow. So we can, you know, we can we can be impelled from these conditionings that are inside um, to move in one direction or another. And sometimes we feel, gosh, you know, I'm here. I am kind of led to this thing and this this uh, circumstance, this event, and I'm not even sure why. Well, this is can be the result of these impressions that are kind of baked into the to the mind and also into the the, the booty the, the uh, discerning discriminating aspect and so Patanjali says the suffering that's not yet been experienced is to be avoided so whatever it is that will create suffering will create upset will create imbalance Whatever it is that's within us, if we can, if we recognize this, and if we recognize these tendencies, then it's best to avoid them. And that's because number one, who wants to be in pain? Who wants to be experiencing, you know, challenge and suffering? Nobody. That's not good. And number two, if we experience this suffering, and we experience this suffering, then this becomes new karma. This creates a new samskara, a new conditioning, a new impression in the chitta, in the field of awareness, which will then produce a result later on. So, so we notice the karma and we notice well, what brings suffering, what creates suffering, and we do whatever we can to avoid the suffering that may come in the future by dealing with the 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 uh, karmas, the influences, the conditionings um, that we recognize today now. So, so we can do that. And then uh, these things are influenced by uh, some subtle, some uh, subtle properties. So he potentially goes on and mentions the gunas. So I want to take a, a few minutes now to just kind of review uh, go back and be reminded about uh, some of these things, the gunas, the doshas, the koshas. Um, these are all different uh, ways of looking, different models of what we are. And if we have kind of a, a basis, if we're all on the same page, uh, then as we go forward through the rest of the week, we can see how these things are affected and influenced and how we can uh, bring harmony and balance to these different levels. So. The gunas. The gunas are um, the the most subtle, the beginning of the manifestation of this expressive universe. Prakriti. Prakriti is what if this is in Sankhya philosophy. Prakriti is the expressive aspect of ultimate reality. And so this expressive aspect begins with the gunas, and the guna is like a thread or a rope. And there are three of these char subtle characteristics that are wound together. They are never separate. They're always, all three are always there at all times. And they are sattva. Sattva is expansive, radiant and expansive. There's tamas, and tamas is solid and structured. And then there is rajas, and that is movement between these two poles of structure, solidity, and expansion. And this is, so rajas is action, motion. So all action, whatever action is happening is rajas, it's driven by rajas. 
whatever is material, substance, the body, the physical body, all this is affected, influenced, the result of tamas, and what is expansive, expressive, creative, this is sattvas. And so these three are, exist, and it is said that when they are in perfect harmony, when they're in perfect balance, there is no manifestation, there is no universe. But as they begin to move, as they begin to wobble a little bit, and they say the wobbling comes, the, the movement comes as a result of Purusha, that is awareness, pure consciousness, observing this prakriti, these gunas. And so they begin to move. And as they begin to move, they interact with one another. And their interaction results in this universe. So the whole universe is the result of the motion, the movement of these gunas. And they are... They are um, underlying they are the basis the structure for which all manifestation comes so everything has these gunas these influences as incorporated right into their dna so there is so we always have the gunas operating and we can notice again the reason for uh for this model for looking at this is we can notice and see whether we're being influenced by tamas heaviness, inertia, whether we're being influenced by rajas, restless activity, passion, uh, or whether we're being, being influenced by sattvas, which is more elevating and spacey and uh, uh, expansive. So, so, so all three, and none of these are better than the other. They all are required and they all have their function. Without tamas, we wouldn't have a physical body. We wouldn't have structure. We wouldn't have solidity. And, and without rajas, there would be no movement, no motion. Nothing would be happening. And so we need all these uh, characteristics. But the problem comes when we have one of these that is dominating, one of these that's really kind of taken over the other two. And so we've lost the, the beautiful balance and the harmony. And now we start to be dominated by tamas and so if we're dominated by tamas this can be heavy and inertia and we can't just can't figure out what to do next and we feel separate and limited and um lazy you know lethargic this is all tamas heaviness so too much tamas you know and we and we and, and we become very imbalanced in a heavy negative way uh, too much rajas. Rajas is activity, action, passion. Too much rajas, and we're running around like Chicken Little. You know, we're we're running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Um, we're doing this and doing that, jumping here, jumping, just anything, just doing anything because rajas is so activated and so stimulated, and so we are acting just for the sake of acting. Too much rajas and sattvas. You know, there is a tendency in the in the in the yogi world um, to think, well, we want to all be very sattvic, and so we meditate lots of lots of meditation, and yeah, but we can be too sattvic too. See, we can be so focused on meditation and otherworldly astral realms, and that we're not taking care of the body. So we're not doing, we're not taking the actions we need to take to support well-being. We're not taking care of the physical body and nurturing it and supporting it. And, you know, we, and we know, we've all know people who are kind of spacey. They're kind of not connected to the world. They're not grounded. So we don't want to be spacey and we don't want to be lethargic and we don't want to be restless. We want to be balanced. We want to bring harmony and balance into all these gunas see in the into the the operation of the gunas within us and so we can do this with intention we can have some control of how the gunas are expressing then in ayurveda we have a concept called doshas and here the doshas are uh one more just quick thing and you don't have to write this down don't you don't have to even remember it but just in the context of this bigger picture these doshas, when they interact with one another, they are they result in the expression of 
matter. So the doshas move together and their, their first expression in the direction of individualization of us, first expression is the buddhi, that is the intellect, the discerning aspect. So we have this wisdom, discerning, uh, intellect, that is the buddhi, then, uh, the, then they express further into what's called ahamkara, that is the sense of I. So first we have discerning, discrimination, and then we have this sense of I, and with the sense of I, ahamkara, is influenced by sattva. So the sattvic element comes in and influences the I, and this results then in the organs of perception, cognition. On the other hand, when tamas is influence, influencing and involved with this sense of I, we end up with the, um, the elements, the subtle and the gross elements. So we have um, a mixture of uh, tamas is, uh, is responsible for the earth element. Tamas combined with um, rajas becomes the water element. Rajas becomes the fire element. Um, and uh, and the fire and uh, the I'm sorry and the and rajas combined with the sattvas becomes the air element and sattvas becomes the space ether. So we have the objects of the. Uh, the, the objects of our senses uh, are made from the combinations of these gunas. And in the same way, the combinations of these gunas are responsible for our organs of cognition. So we have sight, smell, touch, taste, uh, etc. And the organs of expression, you know, so we have the, the tongue, you know, we have uh, speech, communication, and uh, hands, manipulation, the feet for uh, locomotion, uh, genitals for creation, and the anus for uh, excretion, so um, elimination. So we have the, so all these are related to combinations of the gunas. So this is what manifests and expresses as this body and this world around us. So now we have the doshas. So now we come to the doshas. So the doshas are three characteristics, attributes that are operating through this body, through this mind-body. And the doshas are said to be kapha. So kapha is um, solidity, structure. It's responsible for the bones and the muscles and tissues. So it is the solid structure. Um, then we have um, the uh, pitta. So pitta is the element, the, the, the dosha, that is responsible for assimilation, metabolism. So it's the fire element. This is the, the, the digestion, assimilation, metabolism. And uh, then we have the vata dosha, which is vata is, is the air element, and that's responsible or associated with air, and that's responsible for movement and thought. So motion and thought is vata. Um, the fire, the, the digestive fire, assimilation, metabolism is pitta, and the structure, the solidity is kapha. So we have kapha, pitta, and vata. And kapha, pitta, and vata are made from these five elements. So remember the, dosha, the, the gunas create the elements, earth, air, fire, water, uh, ether, and then the combination of those elements is responsible for the doshas. So when we put that, put together the earth element with the, with the water element, we have the kapha dosha. And when we put the water element together with the fire element, we have the pitta dosha. And when we put the air element together with the ether, the space element, we have vata dosha. So see, all these are related. Isn't this interesting? So. Um, so here we are with this, these three principles that are operating within us. And again, everyone has all three. Every one of us has kapha, pitta, and vata. Uh, if we don't, we can't be. Kapha is responsible for the structure. Pitta is responsible for the metabolism. 
uh, Vata is responsible for thought and motion. Everything that moves, anything that moves is the air element. This is Vata. Okay. So once again, what creates problems and disease and limitation for us is when these doshas are out of balance, when they are not operating the way they're designed to operate. So too much kapha, then heaviness, inertia, lethargy, um, you know, we become slow and dull. This is kapha. Uh, pitta, too much pitta, too much fire, too much passion, too much action, too much, you know, running around and moving. And too much vata, we're too spacey and we're disconnected and, and, uh, and the mind tends to overcrank. And we are, so we have all these thoughts and all these considerations and all this stuff going on in the head. So this is all vata and movement, lots of moving, running around. Vata's disturbed, watch out, you know, because we're going to be out doing something. Um, anything <laughs> to try to balance this and when and when these are imbalanced you know when we push the button too far when we go too far with um kapha for example when kapha becomes stressed we have this uh, stress you know we, we all know about stress stress is kind of the fight or flight or freeze response so when we're under stress when the organism is threatened and remember the organism, the whole mind, body, the whole system, uh, you know, it exists and it wants to continue to exist. It wants to keep going. And so it's constantly got its antennas looking around for, you know, what it is that I can eat to feed the, the Anamaya Kosha, to feed the physical body. I need to constantly be putting stuff in here to keep it going. So I'm constantly on the lookout for for opportunities for what's good to eat. And I also have to be constantly looking out for something that might want to eat me. So I have to, I have to be looking at, you know, what is it that I can get that I can eat that I can acquire that I can bring into me. And I have to be very careful that the saber tooth tiger or the bear or, um, you know, something evil and bad is not lurking in the background. that wants to eat me. So I'm, so I have this, you know, condition. And whenever there is an opportunity for, uh, or the experience of eating to be eating or to be eaten, when this comes up, it switches us into this mode that is called stress. So it basically turns the system on, it activates the system in a way where we have our senses are heightened, the blood flow and energy is directed away from the internal organs because the internal organs are responsible for repairing, for processing food, for digesting, for keeping the immune system working. And when we're going to be eaten, this is the last thing we need to be putting attention and energy into. So the blood flow goes out to the extremities where we can run um, and it goes into heightened senses. So we're, we see more clearly, we hear more clearly, we're really uh, focused and we move into this kind of accelerated hyperspace this is from stress okay and and then the the opposite is when we are um when we're not under stress when we're relaxed and we have you know we can look around and think well yes there probably is going to be a tomorrow so i can take some time to digest this food and clean up the you know clean up the inside of the body and take and turn on the immune system and so when we have that we go into this relaxed parasympathetic nervous system turns on so sympathetic the gas pedal parasympathetic the brake so when we when we're under stress if our if our cup if our kapha is uh feeling threatened if it's unbalanced if, in other words, if we haven't been seeing to internal balance, taking care of ourselves, taking care of what we need to do, and kapha is aggravated, then what happens under stress is we go into the freeze response. So a kapha person, when you know, when they don't know what to do and they're at their wits' end and they're under stress and they're in extremis, they just freeze. You know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to think. I don't. I just. I'm going to just sit here until something happens and I can move again, you know, that's the freeze. 
which is a you know a way of staying alive if the you know if, if the tiger comes running so you can either fight the tiger you can run away from the tiger or you can play dead and um and so so the freeze response is the reaction the response of kapha when it is aggravated or if we tend to have a lot of kapha you know each one of us has a predominance of one of these three or two of these three so if we tend to be a kapha type person you know if we are uh, if that's our our nature the way we're made and we're imbalanced then we can have that experience of the freeze response so and if we're a pitta type if we are if we're more of a fiery type then and the stress you know hits the wall we you know the saber-toothed tiger shows up um or the guy calls up on the phone and says hi i'm from the irs and if you don't fill out this form and send me all this money we're going to have you arrested and take all your take your house you know call you up stress you know so so if we're a pitta type then the response is the fight response so the pitta is ready to you know get angry engage get fiery that's the pitta and when the stress response happens to the vata type the air type they become fearful worried anxious so when we are when we are uh, so if we're predominantly a vata type and we're imbalanced this is not you know if we're in balance if everything's operating harmoniously then we take these things in stride it's not a problem but if we're out of balance then the stress response hits and we're either anxious fearful worried or we're angry and ready to fight and do something about it or we just freeze up and go have a dish of ice cream and crawl under the covers and hope it'll be better tomorrow you know um so it's useful for us to under to know that these things are um, operating principles within us and that they have effects so noticing these doshas noticing the the way they move um, can allow us to analyze ourselves and to look and to say oh gosh i'm feeling really kind of a little afraid i'm feeling a little anxious a little worried especially you know in the in the light of the situation right now with this pandemic um and so i can say well if i'm really fearful if i'm really worried what's that about vata vata is disturbed if i'm fearful there is nothing else that will cause fear that will give me this experience except an an imbalanced a reaction of vata and so so now i can say oh, okay well then what i'm gonna have to do to balance this to um, bring harmony back into my being back into the system here what i have to do is to balance vada is to see what is it that i can do that will bring harmony and balance and help to pacify vata so it's not activating and not causing me to live in fear and anxiety and worry okay so and the same way if i'm if you know if i'm I can't leave the house. I can't go shopping. I can't hang out with my friends. So if I'm a pitta type, I can get really angry about this. And we see people out in the streets, you know, having these rallies, um, protests, where they've got a couple hundred people that have come together to protest the fact that they're locked up for their own good <laughs> so that they don't get sick and don't spread the disease. Uh, but their response is anger so you know over here we got the people that are on the internet every day worried about what's going to happen next and then other people on the internet over here that are trying to get rallies together and come out here and you know storm the citadel to get everything back to work already already anger so this is pitta you know so the pitta types are getting angry the vata types are getting more worried and more fearful and the Kapha types are buying some extra ice cream because they don't know what to do. You know, they're, they're, they're stuck. So, so we can, you know, just notice, notice what's going on. Notice these things. And uh, I, I had planned to talk about some more things, but um, our time is getting short here. So, so we, I, we'll just continue this conversation tomorrow.
um, because I want to also review the interaction now of the doshas on how they affect the koshas. So the koshas are the bodies. So are, these are the these are the vessels, the the levels of being that we operate within. And the anamaya kosha is the is the food body. Ana is food. So we have the outside, the structure, the meat. You know, this is all the anamaya kosha. It means it needs food, needs input, and it carries the senses and relates to the world. And then within that, the next level inside is pranamaya kosha. Prana is the energy, the life force. And so this energy and life force is what um, animates all this, but it also creates the communication between the anamaya kosha, the, the food body, the outside body, and manas, which is the mind body. So now the next level inside of pranamaya kosha is manamaya kosha, the mind. And the mind gets its information, its communication from prana, from this movement of prana. And so the senses are communicating and reflecting to the mind. And then manas, the manamaya kosha, then gives information to the next level inside, which is the Vigyana Maya Kosha. This is the buddhi, the wisdom, the discerning aspect. So each one of these is relying on information that's coming in, in uh, more and more uh, subtly in. And so tomorrow we'll talk about um, how the doshas and the imbalances affect the koshas, these vehicles that we're operating through. Uh, in order to come into a little bit more clarity about what's happening when we have imbalance and when, when we're having these problems and these challenges, what's happening. And then as we move through later in the week, we'll be uh, moving into talking about Ashtanga, the eight, eight limbs of Patanjali, the observances and restraints and asana and pranayama. And so we'll be moving through discussion about them and it's good to have this context this basis as we move into that discussion so that we can be looking at how is the, how are these things affecting our monomaya kosha and our pranamaya kosha and our uh, anamaya kosha so so we'll we'll continue on so we'll talk some more about that tomorrow and and maybe have some practical examples so we can kind of really get grounded in how this all works and how we're put together, at least this model of how we're put together so that we can engage and we can uh, do something useful with it. So, uh, so I think that's enough for me. Uh, are there any questions about all this? If there are no questions right now, then we will go out and have our day and we will allow our, uh, anamaya kosha and our pranamaya kosha and our monomaya kosha and our vigyana maya kosha and uh, and the ananda maya kosha the self will allow all these to be out here experiencing a wonderful day and a wonderful enjoyable uh, experience and noticing what's happening and being intentional and mindful and especially joyful okay so for now namaste